watchers in the fourth dimension. Harry, I'm not thinking. Trafalgar Square should be that way. Trafalgar Square? This is Piccadilly. You as a female are far more interesting. Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And words, Earthling, will never prevail against Sontaran might. This episode, we're heading down to Earth in the far future where the Sontaran experiment is being conducted. But before we get into that, Don is going to take a look at our mail this episode. Over to you, Don. We begin with some comments that we had on our third Doctor retrospective. R.L. Gray says... As someone who has feelings about the Pertwee era, this one in particular was a must-listen for me. Great fun. Thank you very much. Tad Davis says, You folks are getting ahead of me again. I'm just finishing The Green Death. Please take a few well-earned weeks off and give me a chance to catch up. I would really like to, but, you know, you're in the hands of our slave master here. That said, I can't wait to hear this episode. Your commentary continues to be one of my greatest two-related pleasures. At this point, I can't imagine watching an adventure without following it up with your analysis. It was one of those great moments in synchronicity that when I stumbled upon your podcast at the exact moment I decided to rewatch all of Classic Who in sequence. Thank you very much, Tad. That's very touching. I think I'm going to cry. That's so good. That's really nice. Yeah, thank you. And Matt Wilkinson says, I can't wait to hear Julie's reaction to the Tom Baker era. (laughs) I discovered your podcast recently and have listened to your back catalog over the last few weeks. At least one per evening, but more like two or three. Wow. Keep up the great work. So much more to go. Enjoy. That's great. Thanks a lot, Matt. I can't imagine listening to three of our episodes in a row, so go you. I don't know if a doctor would recommend that. Rob Brogan writes, a great listen as always. It made me wonder what John Pertry would have made of the Cybermen if he'd had a full story rather than a brief cameo in Carnival of Monsters. So as an idea, what other Dr. Cyberman story would you have liked to see John Pertwee in? For me, it's the invasion, as it's almost a Pertwee season one story anyway, and a test for the Exile on Earth storyline. How about you? I think that's a good choice. Really good choice. It's really hard to disagree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hero Beatnik says, what a fantastic episode. I laughed and enjoyed the Shetnerian deep dive right up until the horrendous declaration of violence toward Grand President Vorg. For shame. (laughs) Never change, Beardo. Never change. (laughs) Oh, Paul Arthur, the wonderful Doctor Who's 60s, 70s, and 80s says, Excellent as always, but I'm surprised no one wanted to snog a Silurian. I mean, those lips. Oh, no. (laughs) You do you, Paul. We're not here to judge. Peter J. Kane says, Brilliant episode as always. Once again, thank you very much. It'll be a while before you do the next full Doctor retrospective, so this one will get a good few listens between now and then. That's true. We've got a while to go. Mm-hmm. Nick Rutherford writes, just listened to your third Doctor retrospective and enjoyed it very much, as always. As you've now watched three Doctors' entire runs, could you rate each Doctor era in order of preference? I'm assuming the second Doctor would be your favorite. Looking forward to enjoying the Baker years with you. Yeah, I'm kind of a Trouton fanboy at this point. I mean, it's 2-1-3, right? Pretty much. Although there is some good stuff in the third Doctor's era. I'm done ragging on him for the fun of it. I'm kind of torn for second place. It's definitely second Doctor is the preferred one. And then first and third are pretty close in my estimation. You got Babs. Yeah. Yeah. I think it comes down to the companions at that point. And you had Barbara, you had Vicky. I love them. Mm, that's a good point. Riley, you want to weigh in? Oh, I'm totally 2-1-3 like everybody else, I think. <laughs> 
Well, there you go, Nick. Uh, moving on to our Sympathy for the Devil bonus episode, Kieran James Evans says, I do have fond memories of this one, even though I can't find my CD. Well, that's too bad, Kieran, but Aww. we're glad you enjoyed it. And for our Season 11 retrospective, Mark Dunstan says, Definitely self-indulgent and unnecessary. It's sad the producer indulged Pertwee in Planet of the Spiders. Eh, Although as a nine-year-old, Planet of the Spiders was scary fun, but Invasion of the Dinosaurs was very good indeed. Best ever Pertwee Part 1 opener. Yeah, I think you're probably yes. right on that one. Very good. Time Warrior is very good also. Lynx is the best Sontaran. I think I might agree with you there. And last of all, Sarah Jane, what a gem. So it's goodbye to Pertwee. There is much better to come. And finally, from Facebook, Philip Cully says, Pedant alert. It's not a telesnap reconstruction of Galaxy 4 or the Space Pirates, as there are no telesnaps of them, just screenshots or other photos. So, Philip, you get an honorary pedant point. Normally, <laughs> we reserve these for Antony, but you have earned them. So carry those with pride. And I apologize for my egregious error. Egregious? <laughs> <laughs> and that concludes the mail. Thank you, Don. And as a reminder to our listeners, we love hearing all of your feedback, comments, thoughts, and questions. And as you've just heard, we do try to read out as many of them as possible. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at, at Watchers4D or via email at watchers4d at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, so please do send us a note. Back to the Sontaran experiment, we'll start with our behind-the-scenes piece. Now, I know that last time I said that the Ark in Space was the first serial recorded as part of the 12th production block of Doctor Who. Well, technically, I lied. You <gasps> bastard! I know, I'm awful. If you think back to last time, I mentioned that the production team approached the Ark in Space and the Sontaran experiment as a single production, basically filming it as if the two stories were one six-parter, with the Ark in Space being filmed entirely in the studio and the latter taking up the location filming allocation that would normally be given to a six-parter. Well, the location scenes were filmed first, which means that the Sontaran experiment was technically the first story filmed as part of the show's 12th production block. Anyway, to write this two-part serial, script editor Robert Holmes turned to the writing duo of Bob Baker and Dave Martin, also known to us as the Bristol Boys. They had become semi-regular writers for the show during the Pertwee era, having previously written season 8's The Claws of Axos, season 9's The Mutants, and season 10's The Three Doctors. So pretty strong track record there. Holmes's brief to the duo was for a two-part serial, set on a far-future abandoned Earth, and for it to feature the Sontarans, who Holmes had introduced in the previous seasons, the Time Warrior. Holmes was famously averse to returning monsters, which is a bit of an irony in this season, but he wanted to make use of the expensive Sontaran costume and spaceship prop again. Since there was only one Sontaran costume, Holmes asked the Bristol boys to make sure that only one Sontaran was ever on screen at any one time. They were commissioned to write the story under the initial title of The Destructors, and they promptly got to work. They had envisioned the moors and heaths of the West Country to be a suitable location to represent an abandoned, overgrown earth, and they initially wanted to include some remnants of human society to indicate that this was where London once stood. Most notably, they wanted the top of Nelson's column to be seen protruding from the ground, paying homage to the iconic scene with the Statue of Liberty in Planet of the Apes. You animals! <laughs> <laughs> when writing Steyer's sadistic experiments, they draw on reports from Nazi scientists conducting experiments on concentration camp prisoners during World War II. Bit grim. 
And they also originally envisioned Steyr's robot as being able to move so fast that it was effectively invisible. It might have been better than what we actually got on screen, but more on that later. <laughs> anyway, production unit manager George Galasio made the suggestion that the destructors should be filmed using new videotape facilities designed for location filming, which would help expedite the editing process. The downside, well maybe not so much of a downside actually, was that the new equipment wouldn't accommodate the chroma key process, which meant that the robot would have to be realized through a physical prop rather than CSO. And that really was what put an end to it being so fast that it was invisible. Anyway, we have the creative team from the Ark in Space making this one. So with that, our director is once again Rodney Bennett, and he's again joined by returning composer Dudley Simpson. Barbara Kidd continues as costumer, and we also still have Roger Murray Leach as designer. When it came to filming, Despite Holmes' assumptions that the Sontaran costume could be reused, it was soon found that the latex head and hands had deteriorated to the point where they were unusable and they would have to be recast. This enabled Murray Leach and Kidd to redesign and remake the mask to allow it to be more lightweight and breathable. This suited actor Kevin Lindsay, who was suffering with a heart condition and he had struggled under the original mask that was designed for Lynx. According to stories from the likes of Elizabeth Sladen, Lindsay was so unwell during filming that he was actually unable to climb down from the rocky terrain for things like lunch breaks, and members of the cast would bring him food up to the rocky areas where he was filming. And sadly, he would pass away just six months after this was filmed. Oh. You know, another issue during filming occurred when Tom Baker slipped on a patch of wet grass while filming the doctor's confrontation with Steyer. Baker was obviously hurt and recording had to be halted, and he was carried to a nearby car and driven to the nearest hospital, where it was found that he had cracked his collarbone. Several scenes had to be abandoned as a result, and despite being extremely uncomfortable, Tom Baker returned to filming the next day, hiding a neck brace under his coat and scarf. His movement was severely restricted, and stuntman Terry Walsh had to stand in for him during the fight scenes. After filming was complete, the production team renamed the serial from The Destructors to The Sontaran Experiment. The Bristol boys were understandably unhappy with this decision, as it completely ruined the cliffhanger at the end of part one, where they had written a classic monster reveal. Live and learn, boys. <laughs> anyway, the final product was broadcast between the 22nd of February and the 1st of March 1975. With that, that takes us into our short summary, which is in my hands this time. So, here we go. Coming this season to Doctor Who, it's the cheap one. No sets, reused costumes and props, minimal cast and crew, and a shoddy-looking robot. One Sontara and experiments on the only humans in the world. And it's up to the Doctor and his friends to save them and send the looming Sontaran invasion fleet packing. Why are they invading an abandoned planet? I'm glad you asked. This season, tune into the Sontaran experiment. All right, let's talk about it. Part one. We get big, giant, shiny metal balls. We sure do. <laughs> You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> I immediately have the Spark Song balls stuck in my head, so thanks, Julie. <sighs> oh, man. I really love that opening panning shot where there's just no sound. It's so quiet mm -hmm. until the TARDIS crew beams in. Yeah, again, I think I've mentioned it on some episodes in the past, but music isn't just about the music that you include. It's about where you include it. And yes, I agree. The having no music playing and just showing this barren landscape was wonderful. In the beaming down portion where there is a little bit of trouble with them coming in, fading in, fading out. Did anyone else get a horrible flashback to the terrible, horrific transporter accident in the first Star Trek film? 
Or was that just oh, me? Oh, God. <laughs> no. I didn't, but now you mention it. Yeah. I couldn't help but see that, and I was thinking, Katarina, goodbye for Harry now? <laughs> <laughs> but now at least you know why they had to beam down to go and fix them. Yes. They were just operational enough to get them down, but not to get the entirety of the human race down safely. And we have beautiful, beautiful landscape. And we get to know this landscape very, very well. I really thought you were going to say beautiful, beautiful balls. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful balls everywhere. Oh, boy. I am going to get really frustrated with Harry really fast. <laughs> I know people were hoping or anticipating or what have you that I might like Harry. Well, the fact that he keeps calling Sarah old thing or old girl, just no. To be fair, he calls everyone old thing. It's not just Sarah. Yeah, that doesn't really help it. I'm just saying it's not necessarily a sexism thing. It's just... It's a posh, I'm better than everyone else thing. I mean, I think he would call his equals old thing as well. But I get it, Julie. I get why you don't like it. He's just an upper class twit. And yeah. Yes. Julie rather rightfully finds that annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it's only two episodes, this serial. So why don't we also dive into what I think is a becoming a developing problem here. Harry is really causing Sarah Jane to be put into a corner here. Yeah. And he's just taking up too much space and too much time, and it's suffocating her character to only being a damsel in distress. I let it go with Ark in Space. I did not. Because that serial was awesome. This, on the other hand, it becomes very, very clear and it is, uh, it's difficult. It's difficult. And I don't really think Harry brings much to the serial or to the show as much as Sarah Jane can. And we've seen her do before. So bring her back, please. He does fall in a hole like nobody's business. That's true. He's very good at that. I don't think he's given that much to do in this serial either, to be fair. I think this is a disappointing story for both of our companions. Honestly, it's a disappointing serial for a lot of people because it doesn't even feel like the doctor has that much to do somehow. No. And none of them do. And I don't understand how that works. Again, it's the cheap one. It is literally here so they don't have to make a six-parter. I'm all for that. Or at least they don't have to make more than one because Genesis of the Daleks, which is next, is a six-parter. I'll happily sit through kind of one-parter so we get better four-parters. The unfortunate thing is when I think about two-parters, I think of that one we had way back with the first Doctor. What was that one called? It was either The Edge of Destruction or it was The Rescue. Edge of Destruction. Edge of Destruction is excellent. Oh, so good. And that was a cheap one. It was in the TARDIS. There was only the crew and it was wonderful. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to go with, oh, we made it the cheap one. So we're going to just cast it off when I know better. It's basically a bottle cereal, but not in one room. But I guess it is kind of one room because the yes. set is the same. It's just outdoors. <laughs> it's just either that rock or that rock. Let's talk about this episode. For the most part, we don't really see that many other people. We start to introduce the other humans about halfway through, but they're an interesting bunch. They are the worst. They are the worst. Was it me or were their accents really wonky? They were South African. Oh, Oops, accidental racism from Julie. <laughs> no, no, no. What I'm trying to say is it sounded like it would be one thing and then it sounded like it was something else. I couldn't really pinpoint what they were trying for. 
I think what didn't help with it is on top of an accent that you're probably not expecting, their vocabulary is also deliberately off, right? So the way they actually speak, they have their own linguistic idioms. So instead of yes, they say check, for example. And I think that probably adds to that kind of dissonance. Mm-hmm. I couldn't pinpoint it. I thought that it just, to me, sounded like their accent didn't sound consistent through the whole thing. I just thought it was very amusing that last time we commented on the humans up on the arc basically being eugenicists. And now we have a bunch of South Africans who were on screen at a time when apartheid was still very much a thing and South Africa was the pariah of the Western world. So we've gone from eugenics to South Africans. Oh, and by the way, we have a Sontaran conducting Nazi-style experiments on people. So we're not doing great on the whole oppression thing this season. Accents, South Africans, all I know is that they were just some miserable bastards. Good really yeah. And I understand because plot-wise, they've been through the ringer, but I feel like we've seen so many bunch of stranded humans in bad conditions and they usually have a bit of a more plucky spirit than these guys. No, their spirit had been thoroughly plucked by the time <laughs> the heroes arrived. By the robot. Yeah. By Cyrus robot. Can we talk about how much Sarah sticks out like a sore thumb in her bright yellow outfit? <laughs> I don't remember her being in that. Oh, no, she got into it at the end of Ark in Space. Okay. They went into the TARDIS and got a change of clothes. I mean, to be fair, no one was expecting to encounter anyone on Earth. I mean, none of these people are meant to be there. And imagine the coincidence of beaming down and literally there are like <laughs> seven other people on the entire planet and they're in the same place you beam down to really yeah and apparently it was piccadilly station yes because that was important it's your typical sci-fi explanation or, or oh god i can't even speak Basically, it's like Star Wars in that Tantooine is a remote rock where supposedly no one would want to go to, but everything happens there. <laughs> I understand that this was the cheap one and that's why they were outside and stuff. I really hated the fact that they had to make it Piccadilly and then they just glossed over it and being like, well, it's been so long that you can't see it anymore. The only reason to even mention that it's Piccadilly is if you actually showed old remains of Piccadilly. I agree. And that kind of makes sense. And that's what Baker and Martin wanted to do. And I think they just decided that they couldn't effectively do it without it looking like shit. So they should have just cut out that whole line about it being Piccadilly. Yeah. 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 It's filled with things like that, where it's obviously a cost-saving measure, like the Suntaran fleet. Do we ever even get one establishing shot that they're on nope. the way? Or Nope, not at all. Trust us, everyone. They're out there. I'm not even sure if they were actually going to invade Earth. I think they were going to invade some other human colony, and they were using Earth. Oh, for the experiment. Someone, yeah, to have someone they thought was competent analyze the humans for every possible weakness, except if they're, you know, sensitive to our weapons, which seems to be a test number one, and then you're done. But what do I know? <laughs> I think that was really badly established. Yeah. It's not established well at all. You have to think about, like, why would you invade an empty planet? You want to come back in, like, four years when the Nerva folk are all down yeah. on Earth and then invade, maybe? <laughs> There's also a lot of other inconsistencies. There are instances where the Doctor doesn't have his hat, and then all of a sudden he has his hat again, and then all of a sudden he doesn't have a hat, and then he has the hat again. Okay, I get that maybe they're not used to doing that kind of continuity, but dear God, either have a hat 
or not have the hat? I just assume it's somewhere in his coat at any point in time. <laughs> On a positive <laughs> note, how about this? I'm working to try to like get us out of like, I'm not saying this is great cereal, but just I'm going to like to point out a good thing that I noticed. I do like that they referred to the arc as a legend to yeah. these mm -hmm. miserable groups and this miserable group of people. And I really like that. That is yes. a nice touch. I do have a question about that, though. The shots in Ark in Space quite clearly show the Ark in orbit of Earth. How the hell did they miss it? <laughs> Space Station just casually in orbit? They were always <laughs> looking on the other side. Anthony? Yes? Don't try to make it make too much sense. <laughs> Please? I just feel like Holmes for this asked established writers who have written stories that we have thought were pretty good. And this just for whatever reason doesn't work that well. On a completely different note, every time I see these two's names, I think that it's Bob Barker and Dean Martin instead. <laughs> and I really kind of want to see a serial written by the two of those. Yes. <laughs> or just a guest appearance would be nice. Ooh, that would be nice. Then I also want Jerry Lewis because Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis are an excellent duo. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just seeing Jerry Lewis doing his his stick in front of a Dalek. I think I would die <laughs> if I saw that. That would be wonderful. I think the opportunity for that was in Death to the Daleks. We may not get that level yeah. of glory again. Oh, so good. All right, let's talk about the robot. Uh, I already heard all of you. It's very clear you guys not are not very up on the robot, but I will say this. I think that this robot is better than the robot from Robot. Oh, I agree with that. 100%. And I would have liked to have seen this robot in that serial instead. I'm going to come to the robot's defense. It's not CSO. It's practical. Yes. And I don't think it was designed to be a torture bot. I think it had some other purpose. And Sire just went, hey, I can use this for my idiocy. And there you go. The other purpose? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because that robot could have been there, left over from humans to just keep an eye on how the Earth was doing so that when they came down from the Ark, they could run diagnostics on the robot and be like, okay, this is where we're at. And then, yeah, I could see Star coming in and be like, uh, yeah, no, I want you to capture people. I mean, it may just be there to move stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's Stia's robot, but it's just to like lug stuff around and do stuff in gravities and so on that he's not used to. And he just kind of went, I can use this to pull people around and torture them. Nut job. Means we're getting to the cliffhanger that isn't a cliffhanger because of the title change. Which is the same cliffhanger from the Time Warrior. <laughs> it's the exact same one. The funny thing being, the mask is obviously different. Yes, yep. it is. So the script doesn't quite work as we move into episode two. Yeah. It does not. And I gotta say, I like the original one better from a outward appearance. I understand that there's reasons why the actor didn't like it but oof. i like the mouth on this one better but mm -hmm. that's it the skin on the original looked more realistic i think whereas this one looks like a rubber mask yeah the lips move that is a interesting change i don't know if they were able to pull it off but it was an effort and i will applaud the effort and at least we still get kevin Lindsay doing stuff with his tongue to creep Riley out. Yes, that's important. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> oh I know. It's terrible. Oh, I have another question. We've established that the Centaurans are all about conquering and they don't have females or women. And so he then says that you as a female are much more interesting, which seems to contradict the whole Centauran point of view. I have an explanation for that, that ties into the entire plot. 
Okay, thank you, please. Please, please don't, don't cite me yet. Wait till I have completed my explanation to sigh in disappointment. <laughs> so the entire plot here is that the Centauran fleet wants to invade somewhere their humans outlook unclear as to where that is. And they have sent Steyr to gather information by luring a group of here to test. The flaw in this plan is that they are relying completely on his report, and they didn't realize they sent a sex pervert to do this. <laughs> <laughs> These are not Nazi experiments. Steyr's a perf, and he has not sought consent. That's all he's doing. And he <laughs> values this aspect more than actually getting the job done so the invasion can continue. He could have sent them something at any time. He chose not to. He did seem like he was delaying when he was talking to his office manager exactly. demanding those TPS reports. He really did seem like he was delaying. I thought that he just wanted to torture people more, but no, he just wants to perv on them more. Mm -hmm. yeah. Don, I think you might be onto something. For him, that's the same thing, and Sarah Jane was something new. <laughs> now that we're all thoroughly squicked out, please continue. <laughs> oh my goodness. From Suntaran oh. lips to this, we are really in it. Let's talk about Harry in part two, Ooh. because he kind of just bumbles around, occasionally picks up a big stick. <laughs> he's kind of useless, and he's still calling Sarah old thing, which I had in my notes as that will annoy Julie. <laughs> you were right. But he is useless. But let's not forego the great comedic value he provides us when he runs into the force field continually <laughs> and gets knocked down. Yeah. To me, I was hoping for more of the Simpsons sideshow Bob with the rake <laughs> gag there, and it just went running for about five minutes long. I would have gone for that. That would have been nice. By the way, because I totally forgot to mention it as we were all being disappointed in episode one, we did get a very blatant, I'll explain later, and from oh. a surprising source. It came from Sarah Jane to the doctor. Ah, Interesting. Okay. Outside of that, Sarah Jane is the one who gets experimented on because, as we've established, Sarah Jane is the damsel in distress. How did we like that snake? <laughs> or <laughs> that goopy goop stuff? I thought the goop monster was pretty good. Yeah. That grossed me out. The only problem I had with the Gooby monster is it just kind of sat there. <laughs> it really didn't move. It squelched and it crept centimeters up her leg. I've seen Creepshow, so it worked for me. <laughs> but that snake man was, was bad. Yeah, the snake wasn't great. I was actually a bit disappointed in that, because if it had been the previous production team, we would have got like a Drashig or an Eight Leg or something Sarah had seen before as mm, yeah. mm -hmm. her fear. And instead we get a snake and a goop monster. Did she see a Drashig? No, she didn't. Okay. No. But I get your point. Something that we had seen on screen before, preferably something that she had seen. I can't imagine her seeing a Drashig going, what is that? Why are there googly eyes on a sock? <laughs> oh, that would have been so good. Yeah. I do like the doctor's absolute fury when he confronts Steyr. He calls him an unspeakable abomination. Like, you unspeakable abomination. It's brilliant. He's so mad. We find out that Vural betrayed all of the others to Steyr to try and save his own skin. And of course, Steyr's not going to honor that because deal with a human. It's not worth the paper it's not written on. Is he naive in that? Or was it something that you guys might do in that situation? Would you sell the other three of us out if you thought it might save you in this situation? 
I'm not sure I like where you're going with this, Anthony. Notice my nervous laughter. Yeah. <laughs> is this a trap? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll take that as an absolutely would sell the rest of us out from all of you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. No honor among watchers. I wouldn't sell you guys out. We uh-huh. would face torture together on my watch. You need people to finish the podcast with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How the hell am I meant to have a release schedule if Steyer kills you guys? <laughs> oh, boy. That said, on the various things we do see, so we see the dying of thirst experiment and we see the weight experiment. And that one is brutal. I mean, Steyer takes it up to 500 pounds that they're having to hold over one of their buddies before he gets called away. Was it a 500 pound experiment or was it an experiment how good they are at miming? (laughs) (laughs) There was the miming piece of it. There was, it took me quite a bit of time to really figure out how are they not able to just move around him and all that. The way that it was shot, I was trying to find how are they forced to be in this position and all that. It was, yeah, it was something else. Yeah. And going back to what Anthony was saying earlier, one of the things about this serial outside of its just general eh, quality is the subject matter is really disturbing. I mean, this is really disturbing. This is hinting at horrible experimentations on human beings back in the Second World War. And I would have hoped that such a subject would have been handled in a serial that would have had better quality behind it and more time to discuss this instead of just throwing it out there quickly and then just moving on. It's something I think maybe requires a little bit more finesse, perhaps. I'm not sure if they wanted to do that, though. Mm-hmm. It's like they wanted to have it, but then they somehow remembered, wait, isn't this a kid's show? <laughs> and pulled back from it a bit. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about last time with Philip Hinchcliffe coming in and cutting scenes. It's almost like they wanted to be a bit edgier, but to your point, Don kind of chickened out and said, uh, not sure our audience is quite ready for that yet. And especially too, they just leave these people who've been tortured for an extended period of time. It, it just, it's a weird place to leave people. Yeah, the Nerva crew will be down soon. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't want to go, though. They're like, no, we'll wait for them. It's fine. So that was their choice, but yeah, it looks like they could have patched them up. I am a bit concerned because the Nerva crew will be like, well, you're not in our genetic plan. Right. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the experiments start up again. No. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been nice if they'd shown Harry, who is a doctor, actually helping them and patching them up a bit. Yeah, that would have worked. We need a spin-off series of these guys just going place to place and ending up getting tortured everywhere. (laughs) Anthony, you're terrible. Guys, Uh, maybe it's you. I'm just saying. (laughs) Everyone, Uh, that was Don. (laughs) That was Don. And his burning hatred of South Africans. Oh, we're in a mood this episode. Yes, we are. are. Yes, we are. Okay, let's wrap this up. We get the fight between the Doctor and Steyer, which in reality is not Tom Baker versus Kevin Lindsay. It's Terry Walsh versus Stuart Fowl. Which I was disappointed in in that if there was ever a time on a landscape of a planet where there was going to be a fight between one alien and the Doctor, you know Pert was like, come on, that could have been me. (laughs) <laughs> no, it still would have been Terry Walsh in a wig. Ah, uh, yeah. Just a different color wig. That's what we saw in season 11. But 
of course, the Doctor tells Harry how to sabotage Steyer's re-energizer, whatever it's called. His Lunchables and juice box. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Getting all tuckered out from the Doctor rope-a-doping him. And so when he goes in to re-energize, he instead deflates. That was pretty cool, yeah, though. Yeah, that was funny, if nothing else. That was amusing. And once again, going back to the plot... <laughs> The doctor just tells him, oh, you don't have his plans. You can do nothing. And they just leave. <laughs> Is this the bad batch of clones? Because they're fucking idiots. Yeah, it's just like, what? Just send a test batch in to invade. Come on, man. Little do we know, two months later, the Nerva crew are all down and the Sontarans invade and wipe them all out. <laughs> There's only darkness in humanity's future. Yes. <laughs> Oh boy. So we end with the Doctor, Sarah, and Harry transmatting back up to Nerva, leaving our Galsec crew on the planet, ready to be tortured by the Nerva crew. Awesome. <laughs> Before we get into our scores, there's one thing that I want to bring in for this era of Doctor Who, and that is the Philip Hinchcliffe women count, which we will use to <sighs> count the number of women who have speaking parts who are not one of the main cast. Okay, so there's a zero. Moving on. <laughs> the Ark in Space got a one because of Vira, but yes, this one scores a massive zero. Moving on. So, scores. We start with, please don't hate me, Julie. Oh, boy. All right, I'm not going to lie. There's not a lot of redeeming qualities in this one. The best thing of this entire thing is atmosphere and music. I don't think I talked other than the very beginning of the not using music, but the music that was used was actually very good. Applaud to Dudley. Thanks, Dudders. You made this not the most excruciating thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be on the back of the DVD box. That's wow. all I'm saying. <laughs> There's not a lot to like here. It's short, but it's not great. There's some poor choices and dialogue there's poor choices made in the robots and th i don't know i can't really describe why i just don't like this but i really don't the doctor doesn't seem to have that much to do neither does harry neither does sarah sarah is subjected to just being the damsel in distress for the second time in a row and harry's going around calling everyone old and it makes me very upset. So this one's only going to get four shiny metal balls out of 10. Wow. Yeah. All right, Riley. This is what happens when you don't want to do six-parters, but end up doing some six-parters, so then you have two episodes left over. I have no issue with the brevity, but this feels like what a clip does with leftovers. It isn't horrendous, but you can tell <laughs> that not much thought or effort was put into it. The all-outdoor shooting really makes it feel like they just loaded up a van, went to Scotland, and shot this <laughs> over a weekend. The fact that it was shot on video gives it even more of that family vacation feel. <laughs> Sarah is getting absolutely wasted in this, and thanks, Harry. I guess if you can't be good, be short. So I give this four Trulian diode bypass transformers out of ten. Damn, done. First of all, I'm very impressed that Riley managed to remember that bit of techno babble. So <laughs> points to you, sir. Thank you. This is one of those stories. I don't hate it, but I don't like it either. It very much is like leftovers. You know, I'll eat it, but I'm not going to remember anything about it. So when we come time for our retrospective, I'm going to be going, did we watch anything with the Sontarans? I remember that. <laughs> There's not a lot for our crew to do. I like the fact that the robot wasn't bad CSO. It was practical. There seemed to be some holes in the plot and it's just kind of there. So I don't hate it. I don't love it. I'm going to give it a five potato perverts out of 10 just because 
It's just mediocre. All right. Well, Don, I think you kind of stole where I was going. I was going to say this story is just there. Yes. You can say it again. It deserves repeating. Yeah, it's it's there. There's nothing truly egregious about it for me. There are plot holes. There are things that don't make sense, although rebranding Steyer as a sex pervert definitely helps make more sense of what he's doing. But to Julie's point, the music works well. What is there? I actually kind of like the one member of the Galset crew who's being kind of driven insane. I feel for him and he's quite sweet in the way he bonds with Sarah. Yeah. So he's part of a redeeming quality of this story. I do wish Sarah had more to do. I do wish Harry had more to do. And I wish the Doctor had more to do in this story. (laughs) I mean, they really under leveraged our entire leading cast. But again, I don't hate this. It fills up two episodes and doesn't do it too offensively. So like Don, I give this story five cheap ass robots out of 10, which gives us a story average of 4.5, making it the worst story we've seen since The Monster of Paladon, according to our completely arbitrary ratings. Arbitrarily correct. I'd rather watch this than Monster of Paladon, but (laughs) it's shorter. Yeah. (laughs) much much shorter that brings us to the end of the episode we will be back next time when everyone's favorite hack terry nation returns to take us to the genesis of the daleks but in the meantime thank you so very much for listening and as always have a good one You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippek, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Big Giant Shiny Metal Balls, was recorded on Tuesday the 30th of August 2022. If this is your first time listening into the show, all of our previous episodes are available wherever you like to get your podcasts. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at @watchers4d, and you can also email us at watchers4d at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and consider leaving us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember... Oh.